But let's dive in to part five of our essential series. Uh, We are looking at five essential practices as followers of Christ. We are also looking at our five values as a church. If you missed week one, uh, Christina mentioned check out YouTube podcast. But week one, our value was Jesus is our foundation. Uh, He is the chief cornerstone from which we build all of our life upon. Number two, week two, value two, was that service is our posture, that Jesus came to serve and so did we in every area of our life. Number three, one of my favorites, we are better together. Uh, We are not meant to do this life or faith journey alone. We are called to do it together in relationship. Last week, Uh, Value four was that growth is our responsibility, Uh, and we talked about the growth that Jesus wants to see in our life comes out of a relationship with him, and it's spiritual fruit that we'd grow in obedience to his word and love for people. And then today, I'm really excited for this one. Um, For me, I know all five are my favorite. I probably have said that, but this one I like a whole lot, and that is uh, Monday is our mission. Monday is our mission. You know, when we started the church, we had, um, before we started the church, in 2018, we had these events called launch parties. Come on, some of you were there uh, for these launch parties. Uh, Here's what we figured. Uh, Jesus spent a lot of time at parties. In fact, his first miracle was at a party. He he turned H2O into Merlot. Come on. (laughs) Some of you pray that every day over your faucet. You're like, in Jesus' name, Lord, do it again. Um, uh, But uh, (laughs) but the... the, uh, Sorry, I got distracted now. Parties. We had our first uh, events were, were parties uh, called launch parties. And uh, they were, um, this was the, the value we would hit often is that Monday's our mission. Here's what we would say is that our Sundays are all about your Mondays. Is that we want to have what happens here on Sunday at Catalyst to inform and equip you for your Monday. And today we're going to be looking at this whole idea of Monday is our mission because we're looking at Matthew 28. And in Matthew 28, Jesus outlines, uh, as a follower of Christ, um, what is the Great Commission or what it means uh, to to live out the mission that God has given us as followers of Christ. And here's the reality, that the mission he gave us, the Great Commission, is not a um, uh, constrained to Sunday mornings, but it actually bleeds into every part of our life. Now, I'm going to talk about what does that mean for us. And maybe you're a follower of Christ. You come here today, and you've, you've wondered, like, how do I live out the Great Commission to make disciples while I'm at work for the government or a business or I'm at graduate school on Monday morning or when I'm getting the kids ready on Tuesday morning or I'm at my Zumba class on Wednesday night? Um, how do I make disciples? And my hope today is to, to unpack the scriptures and to give some practical application of what it looks like for you in every uh, area of your life to make disciples as a follower of Christ. Now, if you're new to faith or you're curious, kind of kicking the tires, um, this is, you can, you can kind of lean in of, of what we as followers of Christ are called to do. And we're glad that you're here. If you're just kicking the tires, you're curious who Jesus is. And also, my hope is that you'll see what is the greater mission we're called to. Each one of us have a unique and distinct purpose. Ephesians 2.10 speaks to that. You've been, you've been created by Christ to do good works. However, we all have a common mission as followers of Christ, and that's what we're going to dive into today. But first, let's pray before we dive into the message. Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray that as we open your word, you would speak to us, you would speak through me. God, we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus, uh, the word says this. Oh, let me give this context too, sorry. 
One last thing. Um, if you've been around church, you know there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four Gospels. Um, every Gospel writer had an intent in the Gospels. They were all inspired by God. If you were here last week, John's Gospel, he wrote it primarily with an evangelistic bend. John's hope was to actually convince the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. Matthew wrote his gospel as a follower of Christ for followers of Christ. Some scholars actually say this, that actually the book of Matthew can be looked at as a theological textbook for Christians. That Matthew is saying, this is what it means to follow Christ. And how many of you know it's important how you start something, but it's even more important how you end, right? You can have a great start. Come on, remember some years ago, the Atlanta Falcons scored 28 points on the New England Patriots? And then like the abnormal superhuman Tom Brady came back and won. Anybody else, one of your prayer requests is praying Tom Brady retires, okay? A few of us, we'll have a group around that. We'll just intercede on the name of Jesus, retire um, for all of us. Um, but, uh, but, but these are the parting words that Matthew records that Jesus says to his disciples. So it's important that we look at what are the last words. All of the words are important, but the last words have particular importance. So Jesus, he records, says, uh, says, 11 disciples went to Galilee. We'll get to the words of Jesus soon. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. So some of them were worshiping. They were bowing down. Um, but some doubted. Is anybody else encouraged that some of the very men who saw Jesus raise the dead to life, heal people from leprosy and open blind eyes, still doubted he was a son of God? I don't know. Just to say this as well, if you are doubting your faith, God is not intimidated by your doubts or your questions. In fact, I want you to know we're glad that you're here. But can I encourage you with this? As the disciples did, when you doubt God, don't pull away from him. Draw closer to him. Say, help me to understand this, God, because I'm feeling a tension here. Because some were still doubting them. And Jesus welcomed them. He came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. He says, all authority has been given to me. That word authority means control. Come on, anybody grew up in Sunday school, you, saw, you were used to sing the song, he's got the whole world. It's actually theologically somewhat accurate. He's got the entire world in his control. Like, he's in control. He has all authority, all power. And that power that was in Christ Jesus, the scriptures say, has now been given to us as his believers. Um, in my mind, I'm sorry, I keep going back to, the, I think it was the 80s song. Remember that song, like, I got the power. Anybody else? Mm, 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 mm. Some of you are like, what is that song? It's because you're young. Um, <laughs> sorry, I forgot where I was. He's given us all power. All power has been given to us. He says, I will be with you to the end of age. And what he's referring to then is as Jesus, let me just give some, of, some theology on the Trinity. Jesus, after this point, ascends to be with the Father. You know, God is God the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Holy Spirit. Some of you grew up in churches where it was the Holy Ghost. Um, and, and so he's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's saying that I'm going to be with you to the end of age. It's not that he physically in the flesh is with them, but the Holy Spirit's going to come in be with them. That's when we get to a, a scripture where he says the spirit will come upon you. And as followers of Christ, we are filled with the spirit of God. He's, he's in us. Out of all of the commands he gives to go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach, the only direct command in the Greek, in the original language, was make disciples. 
Everything else is an indirect command. What that means is this. All of the indirect commands support the primary commands. And overwhelmingly, in my research, theologians conclude the word make disciples, whereas it does include to teach followers of Christ how to follow him, it first and foremost refers to helping to bring the hope of Jesus to those who don't know him. And that's his primary focus. Luke 19.10, Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to bring hope to those who don't have it. He came to bring forgiveness of sins to all of the world. So Jesus says these instructions, again, not to, these instructions are not meant just for pastors, not, not just for certain followers of Christ. These are intended for all disciples, and not just for Sundays, but every day of our lives. So I'm going to unpack this very practically for us today. Um, so I'm going to share three thoughts with you. The first one is this, um, is, is that we need to first shine the light of Jesus. How do we fulfill the mission of Christ? we got to shine the light of Jesus. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if you've been around church, you've heard that a lot. So that phrase does not take you aback. If you were these, um, uh, the 11 younger Jewish men who were around him, that phrase would have been shocking. Here's why, for two reasons. Up until this point, the gospel had only reached the Jews. So now he's saying in this moment, I didn't just come for the Jewish people, I came for all people. And then all nations implied the Gentiles. Again, it had not gone to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish individuals. And then also all nations, up until this point, just to give context, culturally and geographically, the average Jewish person would not have traveled more than 30 miles from their home ever in their lifetime. Like they, didn't, they couldn't just like hop on a plane in two hours at DCA and be across the world tonight. Like, like they, 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 there was 30 miles was their, was their radius at which most would ever travel. So this statement, Jesus is giving a vision that no one had ever comprehended. Like, and, and you're going to take, take this faith, this mission across the entire world. Like, we haven't been out of our city. <laughs> like, like we, we, we haven't. We, what do you mean? Like, so he's given us this groundbreaking uh, vision. And then in Acts 1, it says this. Uh, the Lord speaking to the, to the disciples. Jesus is saying, by you will receive, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, again, the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now listen, as followers of Christ, we are called to take the gospel into the four corners of the world. And just, you know, here at Catalyst Church, here's the ways that we take it to the four corners of the world. We partner with organizations like the Association of Related Churches that plant churches. In fact, this fall, um, we'll have specifics in a couple of weeks. Um, they're planting over 30 churches throughout the United States uh, this fall, brand new churches. Uh, so we, we plant churches through like One Hope, which are translating the Bible in every language and trying to put the hands in the Bible of every child in the world, specifically targeting areas where Christianity is either illegal or has to be underground. They're trying to get the gospel to every person. So we, we as a church financially support these organizations to get the gospel to the four corners of the earth. But note this, there's an importance that we look at the order that's mentioned, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So start in Jerusalem, like start in your backyard. And maybe you grew up in a church culture like this. I know for me, this was common. When I was in church growing up, um, it would refer to uh, missionaries or mission trips. 
And that always implied somewhere that's not here. Like you were a missionary if you went somewhere, some other city, some other country, and you took the gospel. What I didn't hear of is that you were actually a missionary right where you are. That God has actually assigned each and every one of us to a mission field. And can I just say something personally I've, I've personally reflected upon, and maybe this resonates with you. If not, you can just disregard it. But I, I think part of the reason sometimes maybe we, we emphasize mission trips more than living on mission every day is because it's easier to go somewhere and act like a really good Christian for seven days than it is to love the coworker that really doesn't always act lovable in your backyard. To love your neighbor, and you would say, Pastor, he ain't that lovable. That's harder. That's harder. That's harder to, to go and, and to, to put on, I'm going to put on my, my Christian uniform for seven days. I'm going to get in it. Right? It, it, it's harder to live like a follower of Christ and on mission every single day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, take a break Wednesday. No, I'm just kidding. Thursday, Friday. Some of y'all maybe took a break on Friday night. We won't go there today. That's okay. Um, but no, but, but living on, on mission every day. And, and he kind of, he gives this like, and let me just share this with you. There, there are three places, if you're wondering, what's this mean for me? There are three places in which you already go in which God's already sent you. Like, you don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to do anything else. And you can fulfill your call as a missionary, for lack of better terms. Here's the three areas you already go. Your home, which includes your neighborhood, your workplace, and your community. So you all will go home somewhere tonight. A condo here in Bethesda, a home in Silver Spring, a town home in Northern Virginia, you're going, to this, you're going to some neighborhood where you live in proximity to people. You have people in your home, whether it be a roommate or your family. You have a, a workplace. You have coworkers that you spend more time with than probably you spend with anybody else outside of your family. And then you have a community, right? You have a gym that you go to. You have a dry cleaner you frequent. You have a grocery store where you know the cashier by name. Those are the mission fields. God has already placed you. And you might be thinking, no, Jeremy, I'm here for an NIH fellowship. And you might be. But can I tell you that God in heaven actually sent you. He opened the door for the fellowship. He put it in your heart to go there. No, Jeremy, I work for this business. Yes, you may work for that business. Yes, you may earn an income. But the God of heaven sent you there. You may be wondering, why am I here in this Washington, D.C. metro area? Can I tell you? It's because the God of heaven who has the world in his hand sent you. He commissioned you to be here for such a time as this. And here's my challenge to you. What would it look like for you to go to work tomorrow sent by God? What would it look like for you to go home tonight to that roommate who never does their dishes? <laughs> Bless them in Jesus' name. Sent by God. Hey, hey if, you, if, you're, if you're a spouse or a, a parent, to love your family as sent by God. As you go throughout your day, your, your gym, your, your grocery store, your, your dry cleaner, I'm sent by God here. 
Thinking, I want to make it practical, but I'm going to get that framework in your mind that I've been sent by God. Listen, you don't have to cross the ocean to be on mission. You can merely cross the street or cross the hallway at work to actually live on mission every single day. So if you're wondering, Jeremy, how does this look? What does this mean for my, my life? Let me give you some, some practical from the words of Jesus. Luke, Matthew 5, 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus says, I want you to be salty and not the 2021 version of salty, okay? <laughs> like the sanctified version of salty, the kingdom version of salty. He says, that's it. Why is he saying salt? Salt in that day served two functions, to preserve food, to keep it from, safe from corruption by the conditions and bacteria. We have refrigerators and freezers now, so we don't need salt as much. Um, but still, some, some non-perishable goods are preserved because they have lots of salt in them. Um, and then to enhance. Come on, I believe on the, on the eighth day, God created salt and cheese. Anybody else? Come on. He knew, he said, there's no way they're going to eat these green vegetables if I don't give them something. Um, so he, salt enhances, right? Have you ever had a meal, you, you tasted it, you're like, eh, you put a little salt on it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm like a chef. It's like, no, you just, you just put a little salt on it. Um, it's amazing. And he's saying, here's like, he, he, so this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to be, to, be, to be preserved from the corruption of the world around you. Romans 12, 1, Paul said this way, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you might read the scripture sometimes. Maybe I used to think this. You're like, Paul, what do you know? Read about ancient Rome during Paul's days. If you think America has any sort of, as far as morality, if there's any corruption, read about ancient Rome, and it makes America look like a nursery. Like ancient Rome was full of just the greatest level of oppression, immorality, unethical behavior, I mean, mistreatment of people. Like it was a rough culture. And Paul says, listen, this culture is corrupt, but be, don't, be, don't be conformed to the patterns of it. That's not our standard. Jesus has given us a standard. And can I tell you, if you read the early church in Rome, they turned Rome upside down for the glory of God in the greatest of ways. So he's saying, I want you not be not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Jesus said, I'm sending you in the world, but don't be of it. Jesus didn't just call us to kind of huddle up as Christians and not be in it. He said, I'm actually sending you out, but, but don't, be, don't be of it. And, and this is what we're called to do, is to be salty, is to be distinct. You know, I was reminded about <laughs> some years ago when I was in college, I worked at a shoe store. Um, it was a particular brand of shoes. And it was like before like sneakers were like popular, before like there were sneaker heads. Like it was like kind of a newer thing. And uh, when we worked there, when I worked there, like they would give, when I would arrive at work, they would give me an area to focus on. Like, okay, tonight you're in women's running shoes or or you're in kids' clothing, or you're in men's basketball. And that was your zone. That was your field, your mission field. And then they wanted us to stand out in the, in the store. The store was very popular, but, but you know, several hundred customers in a day, or at one time. So you know how they made us stand out? They gave us orange polo shirts. Do you want to know why? Because nobody in their right mind wears an orange polo shirt. I'm like, great. I look like a construction site or a pumpkin. Thank you. This is wonderful. It's Halloween every day. You know, it's like, so they, they wanted us to sing. Here's what Jesus is saying. I want you to be distinct. Let me break it down practical for you. 
So he says you, to, be, to, be the, the, to be salty, to have the, the salt on the inside of you. You know what's intriguing? I don't want to go, but you know salt is actually evaporated salt water. Do you know the Spirit of God, a metaphor for the Spirit of God in Scripture? is He's a living water. The living water evaporated on the inside of you, you become salt. So, so, so salt, you're to be distinct, meaning you, you are not, you are shaped by the spirit of God. You are submitted to the word of God and you're not conformed to the patterns of this world. Here's what that looks like in a culture that is so quick to berate the other, you demonstrate kindness. In a culture that's very quick to cancel, you're quick to forgive. Why? Because you have been forgiven of much, says Jesus. That, that in a culture that is maybe self-absorbed, selfish ambition, you're hardworking, but you're humble. You're not there to build your own kingdom. You're there to build the kingdom of heaven. That in a culture that sometimes can be closed-fisted, you live open-handed and generous. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave, and we are, conf- we are made in that image to live a generous life that we begin to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to shape us so we're kind and we're humble and we're self-controlled and we're meek and we're loving and we're encouraging. Colossians said this, Paul wrote, let your speech be seasoned with salt. It means that we're intentional about the words that we're speaking. And it means in an office place full of gossip, you speak life. It means in, a, in an office place where there's lots of competition, you know what you do? When that coworker, and maybe you're going for the same role, instead of competing, you compliment them after a great presentation at work. Because you're like, you know what? My goal is not to just build and get to the top of this hierarchy. My goal is to glorify Christ. And that means I'm the salt of the earth because he's called me to be salty. Be distinct. Then he says, and catch this. He says that the salt enhances. So if you live in a salty way, you will make the people and the places around you better. When you, when you, when you live with integrity and kindness and humility. First Thessalonians 4.11, Paul, the Thessalonian church, to give context, when they became Christians, they were like, so what do we do, Paul? Do we quit our jobs and just like read scripture and pray every day? Here's what he says. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. Here's what Paul says. Stay right where you are. Work hard. Live in such a way that earns the respect of outsiders. Then Jesus says in in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying in this moment, just so you know, Matthew 5 is part of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. Um, and he says, you know, what was common there was that if you lit a candle at night, you put a bowl over it to kind of snuff it out. And he's saying the light that I'm, that I'm, that I'm putting on the inside of you is to never be snuffed out. That you're to be like a you're to be like a put on a lampstand so that it actually gives light to the world around you. That actually it brightens other people's lives as well by the way that you live. And how does he say that we are the light of the world when we do good deeds? It glorifies our Father in heaven. Can I give you just a practical? I, I love the practical. So let me just say real practical. If you're like, how do I live this out? If you think of something good to do, do it. 
If you have a thought, I should pay for my coworkers' lunch. Pay for it. I should send an encouraging text. Send it. I should check in on this person. I haven't seen him in a while. Do it. If you think of something good to do, do it. Somebody crosses your mind. Maybe you know they had a full week. Maybe you know they had their first week back at school. Or, and you think, man, I should just send them dinner tonight. Do it. If you think of something good to do, like, do it. He says that, that your good deeds will actually bring glory to your Father in heaven. So we're called to, to, to stand out for our distinctness, but also how we do good to others. It's helping a coworker with a project and asking for none of the credit. It's complimenting someone on a great presentation. It's being a listening ear to a friend going through a hard time. It's meeting a tangible need in someone's life to do something good. Here's another framework you can, you can, I would give you, is how can you add value to people's life around you? That when you add value, you're doing something good, and it glorifies your Father in heaven. I was reminded of this story I heard of a, of a woman. She was a um, mid-level manager at a business in Portland, Oregon. And the owner of the business came to her and said, hey, we're in need of an office manager. Could you help us to, to find one? She thought of a woman at her church that she was in a community group with. So she told the woman, hey, are you interested? She said, yeah, I'm interested. She said, why don't you fill out an application or, or send in your resume and go from there? The woman got hired. So she was such an exceptional office manager. She was salty. She was honest but humble. She was kind, hardworking, excellent at what she did, worked with a sense of integrity. She was so good at what she did Literally, the owner came to the manager who hired her and said, where did you find this person? So we go to church together. Now, this owner was not a Christian. He says, is there anybody else in your church looking for a job? If we follow the ways of Jesus and we're humble and we're generous and we're kind and we're meek and we're encouraging, we're not gossiping, we're only letting words come out of our mouth that build up, we come with a posture of service, who would not want to hire someone? like that. If we live this out, church, what a witness. Listen, I spent the most time on this first point because most of us will live the majority of our life in this, in this first aspect of shining the light of Christ. And I want to make it very practical that you live on mission. Listen, you know one of the ways you can live on mission tomorrow morning at work? Are you ready for this? Is just work with excellence. Have integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't fudge numbers to look better in front of your boss. Be honest. Be kind. Help people. Like, these are ways you can simply be a light. In your neighborhood, be a listening ear. Be a generous neighbor. And that's ways you can shine a light. Here's number two. is to share the good news of Jesus. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you hearing this, you, you maybe got a little bit uncomfortable. Because this idea of sharing your faith maybe feels a little bit uncomfortable. I understand that. And, and Jesus says to baptize them in the name of. Let me give context. In the original Greek language, it actually does not say in the name of. It says to baptize them into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means. That we have a calling to lead people into relationship with God. Now, scripturally and historically in the Christian faith, to baptize someone historically and theologically has meant not just to in, in introduce them to Jesus and to God himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but to also uh, invite them into the church. Because remember, Jesus, this, our faith is a communal faith. Jesus didn't just call his disciples to himself. He called them to one another as well. And we have the same calling. 
So he's saying, I want you to invite people into a relationship with me, but also with the church. 2 Timothy 2, 4 says this, God wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Now, I said last time that, that, that Jesus said all nations. Now, again, that would, have been, that, would have, that would have been powerful because if you didn't know this, there were also racial and cultural tensions between Jews and Gentiles. So he's like, the very, the very people group that culture says to be divided, I've actually come for them too. I've come for all people. And let me just give some context for 2021. Jesus came for all people. Jesus did not just come for people who have a Christian background. He did not just come for those who come from a certain part of the world. He came for everyone. That means he came for the person with a Buddhist background, with a Muslim background, with a, with a no-faith background. He came for, I know some of you are going to be, this is going to be shocking. He came for Republicans and Democrats. He even came for independents. You know, the odd ones. I'm just kidding. He came for all people. And this was groundbreaking to them. And, and listen, here's the reality. For sometimes, for in, our, in our culture, some people, when I have that mindset that Jesus came for all people, but he did. He also said this in the gospel. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. He said, there's one way to the Father in heaven. It's through me. You know why I love Jesus? One of the things I love about Jesus. Anybody else, you like when you can simplify things? I love to simplify things. Complexity is just too much. I love simple. And Jesus, let me just say how simple he is. He took over 600 commands in the Old Testament. And he said, listen, that's too many. I'm going to give you two. Love God, love people, right? Come on, how can you not love Jesus? Um, and then he says this, there are not many ways of the Father. Listen, this is the way. Can I say this? Listen, Jesus is the way, church. He didn't say it in a way to say, well, that sounds rather hard. No, he's making it easy. He's saying, I'm the way for the Christian background. I'm the way for the Buddhist. I'm the way for the Muslim. I'm the way for the atheist. I'm the way for every person to the Father. And when I hung on a cross, I wasn't just thinking about someone who had a Christian background. I wasn't just thinking about the Jewish people. I was thinking about Gentiles. I was thinking about the Muslims. I was thinking about the Buddhists. I was thinking about the Republicans and the Democrats. I was thinking about everyone. Come on, how good is our God and his love for us? That's an underwhelming response, but that's okay. <laughs> He's good, church. His love is never ending. It has no conditions. He came for all people. Listen, Jesus did not come to establish another religion. He came so people could have a relationship with God and forgiveness of all sin, past, present, and future. I don't know about you, but I need that. And you can have eternal life with him. That's the good news of Jesus. You know what the gospel means? The gospel literally translated means good news. So if you've heard about Jesus and it hasn't been good news, it wasn't the gospel. Because the gospel is your sins are past, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And sometimes churches, Christians can get it wrong. And we're going to get to the third point in a moment. But we can jump to the third point. 
which is teaching people what they need to obey before we tell them of the good news that he's forgiven your sins, past, present, and future. And that we first need to, the world needs to understand of who Jesus is and what he's done and how much he loves you. That we'll get to the, the fact that his commands are to bless us, not to be a burden to us. But first you have to understand what he's did for us. Listen, the gospel is not what you've done for God. It's what he's done for you. It has nothing to be contingent upon what you've done or not done. It has everything the fact that God put his son on a cross. And because of his blood, he even said, I'm the one and final sacrifice. See, up until that point, you had to make a sacrifice for your own sins. He said, I'm the one and final. It's done. That's why on the cross, he said it's finished. He defeated death, hell, and the grave in one swoop. Okay, I'm, I'm, I get excited about Jesus, okay? And we got to remind ourselves, if you've been around church, because this is so you so used to it, you need to remind yourself of how good God is and how much you need forgiveness, not just when you are far from him, but today and tomorrow. And that his goodness, listen, listen, your right standing with God, not just then, but now and forever, has nothing to do with your righteousness or your morality and everything to do with a bloody and broken Savior on a cross that died for you because he loves you without condition. And we need to be reminded of that. I'm sorry I'm getting passionate. In fact, I'm not sorry because that's why we're here. We're not, we're, not, we're, not a, we're not a social club. Say, how can we live a moral life? That is not what we're doing, church. We are like we are broken and in need of a savior. I am imperfect and I need the one who is perfect. And I have a right standing with God. I have full access to the Father. Why? Because he hung on a cross and he rose again for me and he did it for you. That's the good news of Jesus. That wasn't even in my notes. You're welcome. Paul said this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That word ambassador means you are a, you speak on behalf of someone. It means you represent someone. That's why scripture refers to us as followers of Christ, that we are actually foreigners on earth. This is in our home. Our home's in heaven. In our short time on here, you've actually been commissioned as an ambassador of Christ. And that word implore means to have a pressing urgency. You know what I thought of? Anybody watch the movie Elf, the Christmas movie? Come on, we're in September. It's Christmas season, okay? We all know Halloween and Thanksgiving is the setup, okay? So Christmas movies, you can start watching Christmas movies now. And if you have a problem with that, it's called Christmas, okay? Just be biblical for a moment. No, but I love this moment in the movie because he, he, uh, he just got done uh, his first date. And he comes into his dad's office. Remember this? Have you seen the movie? And he's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. He, what did he have? This urgency. Like, I have to tell somebody. That's how Christina met when she met, when she, uh, met me. It's actually the way around. <laughs> I called every, everybody my phone. Like, you haven't called me in 17 years. I know, but I sent the most amazing woman in my entire life. He said, I implore you, you have an urgency. And listen, here's what it means to be an ambassador. It means that you've, you've experienced the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness and the goodness of God in your own life. Go back to point one. You experience it for your own self. That, that sometimes, listen, sometimes that takes some time to, to walk it out yourself, to allow God to set you free from some sin in your life, to allow God to give you a peace in exchange for your anxiety to allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength. But listen, once you've experienced that, 
And sometimes as a follower of Christ, you need to remind yourself of how good we have it in God. So we can remind ourselves, this is not a message I'm supposed to keep between me, myself, and I. The church of Jesus was never supposed to be us four and no more. It's supposed to be a a, a family of God that is ever growing because of the good news of Jesus. Now, some of you are very, like, overwhelmed with, Jeremy, how do I do this? Because maybe you grew up in environments where to share the love of God meant you went door to door and you handed out tracts. Or maybe you went on the corner of a street preaching. Or maybe when you met somebody for the first time, your first question was, do you know where you'll spend eternity? Um, If God leads you to do those things, bless you. I, I don't know how effective they are. Uh, in our context, I think it's good to start with someone's name before you ask them, will they spend eternity? Um, but but here's, here's, here's to, to, to bring it down real practical, how you can share your faith. You can simply share your faith by sharing your story. What has God done in your life? Like, don't overcomplicate it. Like, like ha- have you experienced... Like the, 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 the realization that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Have you experienced God healing and helping your marriage? Has you experienced freedom in an area of your life because of Christ? Have you experienced the peace of God that guards your heart and mind? And here's how it can look like. When someone asks you at work, man, I can't sleep because of the anxiety I'm feeling. Maybe you've been there. And you can share with them maybe some way that God, through his spirit, through his word, Maybe just simply, even simply offering to pray for them. Hey, do you mind if I pray with you? And can I tell you, you know one of the ways that many people we see in Scripture came to faith? Because God did a miracle in their life. Can I tell you, if you pray for their anxiety to go away and your coworkers' anxiety to go away, they might want to know a little more about this Jesus you just prayed in the name of. That, that simply you can share with them, hey, hey, you know, they're saying they're having tension in their marriage. Well, here's how being a part of a, of a church and being around other people of God, here's how the word of God has helped us in our relationship, our marriage. You can share with them. Those are ways. Another simple way is someone asks you, hey, what did you do this weekend? I went to church. Now, I might just leave it there. They might be like, okay, let me move on. Well, they might ask you, you go to church? Tell me more. Like, look for opportunities. Pray for opportunities and look for opportunities to share your faith. Again, you don't have to make it like, you don't have to have a three-point sermon. You don't have to, you know, know the Romans road if you grew up in that culture. You can simply share your story of what God's doing in your life. Here's what Revelation says. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus on the cross, and the word of our testimony. Never underestimate the, your story. And listen, you might be thinking, Jeremy, I don't have that story. No, the enemy wants to convince you your story is not powerful nor impressive. But your story may be the very key that sets someone's free in your life. And God knows where he's called you at work. He knows the neighborhood he's put you in. Therefore, your story may be the key to someone else getting set free in Jesus' name. If you would share it. So, show your faith. Pray for opportunities. Look for opportunities. And just share what God's done in your life. Here's point number three. Is then show others the way of Jesus. He says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Again, some of you may be even uncomfortable with the last point, sharing your faith. Maybe now you got really uncomfortable because now I'm supposed to teach them. Like, isn't that your job, Jeremy? Like, like you teach them or, or other people teach them. Like, I just came to faith in Christ. Or I'm, I'm kind of newer in this kind of faith journey. I'm, I'm going to break it down for you. Because, again, this is for all disciples to teach them to obey 
to, to share with people, here's how you walk in the ways of Christ. Because if not, it can be easy, again, to get overwhelmed by what does this actually mean for my, my life. In Deuteronomy, the Lord gives the Israelites some guidance. He says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. Again, start first with your own relationship. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Very simply, the Lord says this. Like, he, he's, he's telling the Israelites, I want the faith to continue on. I don't want it to die off with this generation. She says, impress it upon your kids. And let me just say this for the parents in the room. Maybe you aspire one day to be a parent. Um, spiritually speaking, as a parent, you are the primary spiritual leader in your child's life. I'll bring it. You are your child's primary pastor. Not me. Not our amazing kids team. And they, they, they love what they do. Listen, our children's ministry team has one hour a week with your child. You have 161 hours a week with your child. With school, a little bit less. But what I'm saying is you have a lot more time with your children. And listen, don't overcomplicate it. You don't have to come home tonight, prepare a three-point message, have three songs of worship. You don't have to do that. <laughs> but just, just take moments. Here's what the Lord says to the Israelites. Like, talk about them throughout your day and your comings and goings. So let me bring it to 2021. As you're getting them ready for school in the morning, maybe you can share a scripture. Have a moment to pray before they leave. Over dinner, ask them how their day was. And when moments come up to give them some coaching, some, some leadership, some pastoring on how to handle that situation when someone bullies you at school. How do you handle that situation when someone lies that you're friends with? How do you handle these? True story, we had last year, uh, our son in preschool, he, um, he had a, a, a classmate who started to share some terminology for um, male private parts with him. Um, pray for us. So he comes home with these words, these new, this newfound language. Um, so we ended up having a conversation with him, why we don't say those words. Uh, now, I didn't say, hey, Judah, because Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting word come out of your mouth, but only that first. But I didn't say that. I said, hey, Judah, as people who love God, we don't say words that could make people feel uncomfortable or tear people down or that are inappropriate. We use our words to build up people. So we don't say those words. That's what it can look like when they bring up situations. And if you have kids, you know, they're going to bring up situations. <laughs> How do I handle this? And you can, again, be, be forward and and praying over them, and I would encourage you to just bless them every night before they go to bed. Like, pray, lay your hands upon them, bless them. Your, your prayers are powerful, Mom. Your prayers are powerful, Dad. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Jeremy, I don't have any kids. Let me say this. This is not just for, if you have children, it's for all of us with each other. Paul said this in Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Paul says to the church, I want you to teach each other. I want you to admonish each other. Now again, note, this is for the church. So I want you to do this with each other. Because maybe you're thinking again to yourself, man, Jeremy, I'm, I'm kind of newer to faith. This seems a little bit overwhelming to me. There are some of you who are here. You've been walking with God for some years. And, and here's the and some of you already do this. Your next step is actually to step into some more formal leadership, maybe lead a group. 
or you're actually, you are teaching people the Bible because you know the word really well. You, you've walked this out. Like, and if that's you, you know who I'm talking to. But, but all of us can simply do this. Share what God is doing in your life. So when you're in community group, or you're talking about a situation at work, maybe you can share like what God's word has shown you or what God's been speaking to you in prayer. Or maybe it's about an area in a relationship. Here's what God's been showing me and speaking to me. And kind of just share. Here's what, man, here's what I'm learning. Maybe this will help somebody. And you'll never know. Listen, especially when you're in, listen, you're in a relationship. God knows right where you are, even what church you're a part of, what people you're talking to. You never know. What you are walking through may actually encourage someone else because they're walking through the exact thing you just walked through. And you, are, you encourage them by sharing your faith. That's what it simply can look like. But I want to close with this because I, um, uh, by the way, this isn't an endorsement of Home Depot. That's just where I was last night. True story. Don't judge me, but the only time I go to Home Depot is for message illustrations. You can ask Christina. It's slightly embarrassing. I have no idea where I'm going. And they look at me oddly because I'm buying odd objects. But I'm like, just... Don't judge me. Judgment-free zone like Planet Fitness. Um, but, but Jesus presents these, I'm closing with this, with an order. He says, I want you to go to all nations. I want you to make disciples, to baptize them, and I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So I want you to shine my light. I want you to be salty. I want you to share with others the good news about what I've done. And then show them the way. And here's what happened. I kind of mentioned some earlier. If we're not careful, we can get these out of order. And I, I may have already said this, but it's worth saying again. Because maybe you've, you've seen followers of Christ or you've been in churches where they're getting mad and they're telling the world what the world should be doing, those outside the church. Can I tell you, those who are outside the church, we should not be surprised that they're not obeying the ways of Jesus. Um, sometimes I wish they didn't give that, those Christians a microphone on cable news. That's a whole other story. So what, what can happen if we're not careful is we can get them out of order. And we can, we, can, we, can, we can try to show and then share and then shine. Or maybe, maybe we can try to, we try to share the good news of Jesus without actually living like Jesus. Then they question the integrity of actually what you're saying because you've conformed to the patterns of this world. You don't look any different than anybody else. You don't act any different. Why, why, why do I need this if it hasn't changed you? Or we can just stay over here. And this can be comfortable because I don't ever got to tell anybody. I can just... I can keep my faith private. And can I help you? I think a private faith, hear my, my heart pastorally, I think it's a beautiful concept. It's just not biblical. It's just not. You are not called to keep your faith to yourself. If you had an antidote to a terminal illness, you would share it. We have the antidote for eternal life, and it's in a person, and his name is Jesus. So, 
Be kind, be generous, be loving, be forgiving, be a peacemaker. But then let people know, I don't do it because Jeremy's amazing. I do it because I met a person and his name is Jesus. And then once they come into the spiritual family, then Jesus says, let me teach you how we should live like him in our marriage, in our finances, and at work. And church, when we do it in proper order, we fulfill the mission of Jesus. And here's the reality. Most of our life is spent here, letting being salt and light. It's letting the Spirit of God work in us. It's us being a blessing to those around us. And then, hey, when the opportunity comes, boldly declare why you're good. Boldly declare it's not me who's good. It's he who is good on the inside of me. And then once they're a part of the spiritual family, again, we don't put this burden, we don't, it's, it, it feels like a burden. If you tell people that they need to live like Jesus without telling them the good news of Jesus, it's a burden. But when you tell them, hey, he's forgiven your sins, past, present, and future, and here's the good news, even when you try to be like him and you mess up, good news, he's already forgiven you. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect, but listen, the more that you walk it with him, then we will experience the goodness of him. Church, let's pray.